Hello there, I'm Miranda Gretton and this is Take a Moment with NCHC, the show where we talk to you and your colleagues about experiences that affect you. Listen on your drive between patients or in your downtime, whenever you get the chance to take a moment. I'm Donna Hudson, I'm the IPAC Team Operations Manager. So Donna, tell me your story. Okay, so I have something called brittle bone disease, osteogenesis imperfecta. It is a hereditary condition, but I was the first in my family to actually be found to have it. Now, it's not that other people before me didn't have it. It just wasn't that they were diagnosed with it. So it could be that I was the, they call it the mutation when it's kind of just uh, arrives. It could have been that that is what happened with me, or it could have been that people in my family before me, before, you know, obviously the wonders of modern technology, they just weren't diagnosed with it. So what that's meant for me is... I was born into a a forces family. I was born on an RAF base in Cyprus and had uh, a couple of breaks when I was really quite small. Um, And what that meant as a child of the 70s is that my parents came under scrutiny from neighbours thinking that they must have been abusing me because I broke a leg when I was um, only about a year old and then I broke an arm as well and they had assumed that that was because people weren't looking after me and it wasn't until we came back to the UK when I was almost three that somebody at a, a Royal Air Force Hospital in Wiltshire I believe it was they diagnosed me with um, with the condition. How does the condition manifest for you then? The thing that I have on a daily basis pretty much is pain. So the condition is, although it's to do with bones, it's not to do with calcium, it's to do with collagen. So it means that I either haven't got enough of it, or perhaps, you know, hardly any, or the stuff that I have isn't doing the job as well as people who don't have the condition. So that means that it can affect um, my teeth, obviously my bones. It can affect ligaments um, and muscles and things like that. So when I say I have pain on a daily basis, it's usually because we tend to have hypermobility as well. So our joints can, you know, and our limbs can move more freely than others. And because the muscles are not as strong, that means that, you know, you can get sort of muscle aches. So you tend to have aches quite a lot of the time. So what you would assume is with brittle bones is that the bones break easily and they do, but that's not all of of it you know there's there's more to it than that so as a child then that must have been particularly difficult because as an adult knowing the condition you can kind of manage it and not put yourself in particular situations but as a child not knowing what it was or even knowing what it was and you know you want to throw yourself about and play and go up the climbing frame so how did you manage that when you were younger well I I did and so my my parents actually divorced when I was five and I do have siblings, but they're all a lot older than me. So they were adults by the time our parents had divorced. So it was just me and my mum at home. And because she was a single parent, then um, it was assumed that she couldn't go after me with this condition. So at the age of six, I was actually taken away from her and put into a boarding school for three years. Now, the boarding school had 55 to about 60 children in there from ages 5 to 18. And everybody else in that school, apart from me, had asthma. Now, the thought of obviously children with asthma being taken into care now, you know, that that just wouldn't happen. But they didn't know what to do and they just assumed that mum couldn't look after me. So they put me into this school on the north Norfolk coast. If I was lucky, I was able to come home at weekends, but mum didn't drive. So it was pretty much that I was there for long periods of time. You know, she um, absolutely did the best that she could. And I can't fault the upbringing that I had. But her idea of looking after me is that I wasn't allowed to do anything. 
So I had a childhood where I was watching other children live their childhood, if that makes sense. So I do actually, I have two sons and um, my oldest son is fit and healthy, but my youngest one did inherit it. So I very much want to wrap him up and, and stop him doing things. Because, you know, obviously the, the pain when he is in pain is, you know, incredible. But my husband is very, very uh, much of the vein. He needs to live his life. He needs to have a childhood. So it's just finding that, you know, that balance between the two, because I don't want him to have the childhood that I had where he's watching everybody else have fun. But I don't want him to be in pain either. So but, you know, we I was born very early in the 70s and you you were just diagnosed with something and and that was kind of it you know whereas nowadays you have the internet so as soon as my son was diagnosed I found out so much more information about the condition than I ever knew before um so that's been quite interesting and it's it's really helped me manage the condition with him he does have a lot of anger for want of a better word because he really does want to be able to to play football and things with his friends and he's not able to do all of the things he wants to do but this condition we have the mildest form and when Ethan was di- my son was diagnosed I was told that it, it normally as it travels down through the generations it will get milder but unfortunately it's not been the case with him so we have the mildest form but he has it a little more severely than I do but there are children who have different variations of this condition who, you know, they break bones in utero and then they die early. So you, you do have to be thankful, you know, for having only what we have to deal with because it could be so much worse. I can completely see how your son would be angry because as a kid, you can't regulate that emotion of of jealousy and envy can you you're just desperate to get on and do what you want to do but I suppose the difference between now and when you were growing up is that there must be support networks there must be groups that he can go to and and people he can talk to on the internet even you know support groups where he can share his frustrations and and really talk about the condition did you have anything like that growing up did you have anyone who you could talk to about it no no one because I, I didn't throughout my childhood I can't even remember, you know, the first time that I came across somebody who had the same condition as me, but I had nobody growing up, nobody who understood. And although they say that in the UK, they think there's about one in 15,000 people who suffer with this, they don't know for definite because it's still not always spotted. You know, some people, they just put it down to being clumsy. We are incredibly clumsy and, you know, those two things don't really go together, but, you know, that that is what it is. Um, but no, you, there wasn't, you know, you didn't have the forums on the internet and things that you could just tap into. So he he does. He's not appreciative of that yet, but hopefully he will be. I mean, he is the the bravest little boy that I've ever come across. I mean, some of the injuries that he's had, he you know he's really he's dealt with them so well. But it is um it's been tricky. But there's definitely more support that you know the multidisciplinary teams that they have in the hospitals for us so when he has his appointments you know I really was very rarely seen when I was a child unless I'd broken something but he is seen regularly and there's medication that they put him on which won't cure the condition but he has broken vertebrae in his back so um, they put them on this this medication that he has by infusion in the hope that they could just puff the invertebrate out a little bit and strengthen his back but he hasn't had a, an injury to compress the uh, the vertebra. This is just from him walking about, living day to day life. So 
he is seen on a regular basis, which is excellent. And he's seen by his consultant, an OT, a physio. So the support at the hospital on, on all different levels is definitely there now. And does that then, as a knock-on effect, mean that you get that support as well? No, not so much. I mean, I definitely spend a lot of time looking on the internet for information now. But I have now got a consultant as well, which is a fairly new thing that's only been like five or six years. So that's good. You know, they see me on a fairly regular basis and and then I can have some tests and things. And unfortunately, because I'm female, once I hit the menopause, then I will have osteoporosis as well. So which is a completely different bone condition. So that's why they're seeing me on a more regular basis now. I'm interested to know what happens with this. So is it a case of you go for a walk and if you were to trip over something, you would break a bone? Like what what actually happens in that respect? Um, yes. I mean, for example, I have probably in about the last 10 months uh, suffered a cracked rib from turning over in bed. So that is just from my whatever position I've been sleeping in. Uh, I've obviously caught it and and crack something so it can be as simple as that we stub our toes I mean you know I said we were clumsy we stub our toes quite often but I would say that we have broken toes probably once every couple of months both of us I even had an occasion where I stubbed my the same toe twice two days running and managed to dislocate it as well so yeah that that was that was not fun but I think And if my colleagues are listening, I apologise because they've heard me say this before. But one of the things that they say with people with brittle bones is that because we spend so much of our lives in pain, we have a really high pain threshold. So, for example, Ethan had physio uh, exercises that he needed to do that involved going up and down one of our steps at the bottom of the stairs. And he managed to break one of his feet by doing the exercises. But you know, he suffers a little bit of pain and then very quickly he just kind of gets on with things. So yeah, it's a a strange thing to live with, but you just do kind of get on with it. I suppose you have to, because it's all you know, isn't it? You you can't measure your pain threshold against someone else's because you don't know. But, But so what happens if you then, if you break something, but you feel like you can get up and get on? Do you have situations where you've left something and it's sort of healed over and do you have any situations like that where you need to go back and have something corrected? Yes, I've broken the same elbow twice and it didn't heal properly the first time it wasn't set properly. So when it healed, it was fixed together with fibrous tissue rather than bone. So when I broke it the second time, it took quite extensive metal work to, to actually put that back in place. I would say the majority of our toe breaks, we don't even seek medical advice anymore whether that's the right thing to do or not because there's not really a lot that they can do for toes even with fingers now we've taken to treating ourselves so I have a stock of they call them bristol bandages and they're like two bandages that are stuck together so you can immobilize the good finger with the bad finger so we kind of just you know put one of those on now so we yeah we we don't seek advice for all of them and as I said that's maybe not necessarily the right thing to do but when you know that there's not a lot that the hospital can do either. It's um, it's kind of just getting on with things, I guess. Well, and I suppose knowing what we know about the services at the moment, you know, we've got high weights at the hospital. I guess you don't want to put yourself in that environment, really. Working for the trust, you know, the pressure that everybody is under. 
But having said that, it's still you and your son, it's your lives, it's your health. Do you feel a bit conflicted in that way that you almost, do you, do you think you're treating yourselves because of what you know, you know, almost like an insider's perspective? Um, yes and no. I mean, I don't have any concerns about doing it for for me, but I do sometimes wonder if I should take him, you know, up to the ED a bit more than I do. But then it's when you are in those situations and you've waited there for hours and you know that they're under pressure and you think if they were able to put a cast on, you know, if you've broken a couple of things and they were able to put a cast on, then, then they're just not. So it is... Yeah, it's, it is a bit conflicting, but it probably doesn't help that I do know waiting times and, and the lists and everything are as bad as they are. I have a really good support network for, for him because he has a specialist orthopaedic nurse that I can call. And I would say it's a 50-50 conversation normally where half of the time they're like, yes, you've done exactly the right thing. And then sometimes they'll say you know what, I think you should come up and have an x-ray. But of course, you have to balance that as well, because he's 12 and he's had so many x-rays. So it's like whether you put him through that as well. If you know that this is going to happen all the time, you know what is waiting for you up at that hospital. You know it's a long wait and you know what the outcome is going to be. So it must be quite tempting, I suppose, to just try and treat it at home. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have got... um, an example of when I did have to keep going back to the hospital and at the end I did wonder why I kept putting myself through that because I'd um I damaged the ligaments in one of my ankles and because I'd been walking obviously to try and take the the pain away and take the pressure off I managed to give myself a stress fracture in the ankle now I knew that I'd done it because not only did I feel it but I I heard it as well. So I went off to the GP and I said, I know exactly what I've done. It's a stress fracture. But of course, you then get referred and you go for an X-ray and they couldn't see anything because it was that thin that, you know, a stress fracture is obviously tiny. So they couldn't see anything on an X-ray. I went then waited a few weeks for a CT scan. They couldn't see anything on that. I then waited a few weeks for an MRI scan. They couldn't see anything on that. All this, this time I'm walking around with it, no, with no treatment because they couldn't see anything. And it was only about six months later when the bone had started to heal and they could see on the x-ray where the, the crack was, you know, healing over that they said, oh, yes, you did have a stress fracture. So, you know, that, that's a perfect example of me kind of putting myself in a waiting list. And, and actually, I didn't receive any treatment at all. I treated myself with that with a pair of boots that covered my ankle. So I had a bit of support. So, yeah, it's, it is really tricky, though. I mean, there's something there, isn't there, in terms of when we have a hidden disability or a long-term health condition that we know and we manage ourselves, are we listened to enough as patients? I know what this is. It's X, Y, Z. And then you're being referred to all these sort of expensive, long-waiting services when you sort of think, oh, it's so frustrating. I could tell you exactly what it is. Yeah. Do you you feel that for you and your son particularly, that you're not being listened to? Yes. Definitely. You know how sometimes you get a feeling as a mum and you just can't put your finger on why, but you just have this gut instinct. Well, sometimes, yes, I do have that definitely with myself and with Ethan. But Ethan is now starting to have that for himself as well, because we know our bodies, you know, and we know our bones. So I said to you at the beginning, I've I've managed to, to injure myself again. And I went to the GP and he said, oh, this could be a stress fracture. But I know it's not a stress fracture because I know how I feel. And I know that everybody can't be an expert in everything and that's not what I'm asking. But there is there's not that level of understanding of the condition. You know, unfortunately, that example of my stress fracture, all I really needed was a boot. 
you know, one of those little boots with a rocker and I could have got around quite safely. So what I did in the end was, you know, as I said, I, I got one of my boots um, and just started walking around with, with that on all of the time so that I had some support. There is an element of you can't possibly know because you haven't had the training or, or whatever. I don't think enough heed is put on the fact that actually people do know their own bodies. Well, that's it. How could you possibly know? Because it's inside and you can't see it. But that's mm. exactly the point of a hidden disability, isn't it? That actually no one can see. You wouldn't know to look at you that if you fall no. over, you're going to break a bone. You wouldn't know. No, exactly. Um, another thing that people think that I, I'm very strange about is that I wear sunglasses quite a lot of the time when it's not sunny because we have one la less layer on our eyeball. So our sclera is one less layer than person without the disability. So like a, a bright but cloudy day to me really hurts my eyes. So I'll be around with sunglasses and the amount of comments I've had about that, you know, people think I'm very strange indeed. But of course, you wouldn't know unless you, you had it yourself. I've heard people before talk to people who wear sunglasses inside as well, saying, you know, oh, not sunny in here. Like all the little digs, the little comments that people think are funny, but actually can be quite hurtful. Mm -hmm. As an yeah. adult, you're probably able to manage those and tell people about your condition, aren't you? But yeah. you know, is it still hurtful when you hear people comment like that? I'm going to sound awful here, but it's not necessarily hurtful now. I do find it irritating because I don't think people necessarily, you know, if you wouldn't wear sunglasses indoors if you didn't need to. So, it's yeah, it's a little bit upsetting. I mean, I've had managers who have implied that I shouldn't go on holidays because sometimes obviously I've managed to pick up an injury when when I've been away so I don't know whether it's people with disabilities are expected to just kind of sit at home and, and wait for you know the morning to arrive so they can go back to work but you know people need to have some quality of life as otherwise why are we here and it, it's just the lack of understanding sometimes I think and that is because people can't see what's going on. So those people who are unfortunate enough to have cancer and have lost their hair, they're wearing a, a wig or a turban. You can see that, you know, but people with anxiety or, or stress or depression or brittle bones, something like that, you can't see it unless like at the moment I'm work, walking around on crutches. So you can see there's something wrong with me. But the majority of time you wouldn't be able to see there was anything wrong. That quality of life, do you find that sometimes quite difficult in terms of if you know a situation might put you in danger of breaking a bone, do you avoid it or do you think, no, I'm going to do it because, you know, it'll be fun or I'm doing it for the kids or I'm doing it for my family and or I just want to do it. But or do, is there something in the back of your mind that thinks, oh, should you be doing that, Donna? I don't ever do anything now that I know could cause injury to me um, and I don't like Ethan do anything that would cause that I know would cause injury to him but just simple things like walking for too long that can cause ligament damage in, in my feet sometimes but of course you don't necessarily know about this until you walked for, for too long so you know I am old enough and sensible enough that I can risk assess what I'm doing and I wouldn't knowingly put myself at risk of doing something Ethan now he's at high school he's not allowed to play any contact sports so the risk assessments for him at the moment are being done by his medical team and, and by myself and his dad but there will come a time where he will know what he can and can't do 
obviously once he turns 18 if he then decides that he thinks jumping out of an airplane you know and going parachuting or something like that it is what he wants to do knowing what the risks are you know that I can only guide him I can't you know decide for him once he turns into an adult but that's not something I've ever done or would ever do (laughs) no me neither Um, (laughs) so what's going to happen then as you get older will the condition get worse what's what sort of things are you sort of looking towards now I think the osteoporosis may be the 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 main problem for me because obviously you know when the the bones are crumbling that's that's a whole different ball game so I guess going forwards there's likely to be more of the breaks like I was talking about when I'm turning over and and breaking a rib but I don't know Um, I do know that I'm going to have to go on HRT to try and you know help somewhat but yeah I, I think it's it's just probably more of the same and just more of the risk assessing what I do before I do it but it's those things like going to bed and going to sleep you know you you assume you're going to be safe in your bed it's those sort of things you just can't account for no you can't risk assess sleep can you I mean... not really you'd you'd think that sleep you know sleeping in your bed was the one place you were going to be safe so does that add a particular layer of anxiety then knowing that really you're not safe anywhere or do you not try not to feel like that yeah I try not to um I think the beauty of having not that I would ever wish for any of my children to have have had this but the beauty of having Ethan is that I don't spend too much time thinking about myself so it is all about you know him and his experience and trying to make it as different from mine you know I'm as I said I I can't fault my mum because she did what she thought was the best thing but it is about him having the best childhood that he possibly can I mean he's had surgery for the first time this year he literally tripped over something and went down on his elbow and it just completely smashed it lots of pieces so he's got metal work now so it's it's trying to educate him you know and guide him rather than focusing on on me because I do feel as though I have dealt with so much that I can deal with most things to be honest if someone's listening to this and they have the condition or they know someone with the condition or they're just interested what's the kind of overriding takeaway from having brittle bone disease that you would like other people to know about whether it is you know don't make comments about the sunglasses or you know what what kind of things would you want people to be aware of so that they can educate themselves about this condition I think if you've had it or you know somebody who has it I would say don't let it define you or them realize that you're more than this condition don't sit and watch the world go by take part in as many things as you possibly can And I think as for the comments, I think it's a general thing because having so many breaks and missing out on so many things, there is an element of depression with having brittle bones, as you would expect, because you do feel as though you're missing out. So it's it's just thinking before you do make those throwaway comments, just being kind, isn't it? Thank you for listening to take a moment with nchc if you've enjoyed this podcast please visit the podcast intranet page to leave a comment and for details of our other episodes you can also follow nchc on all social media channels